0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey there, I'm Dr. Jen Mann, and I am filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline all this week. I'll be answering your questions and offering you tons of advice. You may know me from VH1 Couples Therapy with Dr. Jen. Or VH1 Family Therapy with Dr. Jen, or the Dr. Jen Show, which I hosted for many years. I'm also an author. I've written the book, The Relationship Fix Dr. Jen's Six Step Guide to Improving Communication, Connection, and Intimacy. Also, Super Baby, 12 Ways to Give Your Child a Head Start in the First Three Years, The A to Z Guide to Raising Happy, Confident Kids, and I've also written a children's book called Rockin' Babies that I co-wrote with my mom, Grammy Award-winning songwriter Cynthia Weil. I've got a column in InStyle magazine called Hump Day with Dr. Jen, where I write about sex, love, and relationship, and I'm also a mother of twins, but most importantly, especially for tonight, I am a licensed psychotherapist, and I am here to answer all of your questions. You can feel free to email me your questions at AskDrJenMan at DrJenMan.com or post them on my social media at DrJenMan, two ends on Jen, two ends on man. One of the things I wanted to talk about tonight before I get to the questions is about exercise. I started posting my workouts on my Insta story and was really surprised at the influx of questions I've gotten about it and people saying I kind of at one point stopped posting them and people are like, hey, where's your workout? I want to see what you're doing. So I really want to talk about how people can start to or improve their exercise habits. Maybe you're someone who isn't working out and you want to start, or maybe you're someone who did, but kind of fell off the wagon, or maybe you're doing it, but you feel like you could be doing it better. You're not enjoying it as much as, as you could be. A lot of people are struggling with motivation right now in a pandemic. And in addition to being a licensed psychotherapist, I'm also a sports psychology consultant. I worked with everything from Olympic athletes to weekend exercisers and everything in between. I spent a lot of time studying motivation, habit development and sports psychology. I'm also a former athlete myself. I was on the national team for rhythmic gymnastics for five years and I also performed in the 84 Olympics. So this is definitely something that I'm really passionate about. I'm old enough at this point in my life to have teenage twin daughters who I carried and gave birth to. And yet I am in the best shape of my life right now. And so I want to share with you how I did that using sports psychology techniques that I use with my athletes on myself. So the first thing I want to recommend is don't be all or nothing about exercise. This is really one of the most common mistakes that I see. And one of the things that really helped me shift my thinking was when I got a Fitbit and, you know, they recommend, I think it's the American Heart Association recommends that everybody walk 10,000 steps in a day. And what happened for me was that I started to realize that all these little changes actually add up and make a difference. And, you know, who doesn't want a healthy heart? I mean, come on, we all do. The other thing is make small, manageable goals what happens is when you make a small goal and you actually keep it it changes the way you think about yourself too often we think of ourselves as oh yeah i I would say I said I was gonna do it, but then I didn't really do it. But instead, when you start to make small goals that are really achievable and you actually do them, you start to think of yourself as someone who keeps their promises to themselves. Like I know if I make a plan to do something when it comes to exercise, I'm gonna do it. Like there's no doubt in my mind because I've had the experience over and over and over again of keeping those commitments. Also, keep your commitments and your goals process-oriented, not goal-oriented. Don't make a goal to lift a certain number of pounds by next year. You don't know how your body is going to respond to exercise. But if you make a goal to take three 10-minute strength class a week, then you actually may get to your goal without even putting that. You may get to your goal without even that intention necessarily, or you might even exceed it, but make it about the process, not the end goal. The other thing is start with small chunks. Take a five-minute class on an app. I Anyone who knows me or follows me on social knows I'm obsessed with my Melaton. And what most people don't realize is that they have an app, which by the way, right now you can download for free for 90 days, but there are also a lot of other companies that have free exercise apps, but you can take a five minute class on the app. You can take yoga, you can take cardio, you can take strength, you can take stretching. And you know, you don't have to, a lot of the time people think, oh, I have to exercise for an hour for it to actually make a difference, but you don't. Five minutes makes a big difference. Make an exercise plan every week. Look at what worked and what didn't and adjust accordingly. Find exercise that you like or at least you don't hate. Be open to trying different things that even if you didn't like them in the past, be open to trying them now. You might like them. Like I hated yoga and then I took a Billy Joel yoga class on my Peloton app and it completely changed everything for me. This is a big one. Change your negative self-talk. My negative self-talk was killing my workouts. Whenever when, whenever anyone asked me about running, the first thing I would say was, I'm a terrible runner. Even if I'm not a natural endurance athlete, this kind of negative statement just kept reinforcing a negative mindset and changed my self-concept or created the self-concept that I couldn't run and I wasn't good at it. And when I shifted that and I started to say, I'm a runner, it really changed my workout significantly. And now I think of myself as a runner and I am a runner and I run much longer distances, but it really made a difference. The other thing is put your exercise clothes out the night before. Sometimes just making the choice about what you're gonna wear can turn into a huge procrastination exercise and then you lose that window of opportunity to work out. So just put it out the night before. You know, cute exercise clothes doesn't hurt either. The other thing is don't exercise because you hate your body. Do it because you love your body. And if you're not feeling that, then just fake it till you make it. Don't make weight the focus of your workout. Really focus on being healthy, on living a long time, on that you want to, if you have children, you want to see them dance it at their wedding. You want to meet your grandchildren. You want to live a long time. Do visualizations or other meditations that support your exercise plan. I do a long run meditation before my long run every week. I love doing the Peloton one. I also love the Headspace one. They have a lot of uh, pro-health, pro-exercise meditations as well. And then last but not least, come up with an exercise mantra that you say to yourself. When I run, I say over and over in my head, I am light. I am strong. I can do this. I didn't believe it at first. So like, again, it's that fake it till you make it. But I said it so often that I find myself thinking it on the treadmill without even realizing it. And it has become a source of strength for me. Understand that so much of exercise is mental and it's about developing new habits. Of course, obviously, make sure you check with your doctor before you start doing anything new or different. Right now, Children and their families all over Southern California are going to bed hungry. Channel Q and Radio.com have an easy way for you to help feed local students and their families. Text the word NEED to 76278 to give a buck and put food in the mouth of a hungry kid and their loved ones. Just $1 to make a big difference. Learn more about Feed Our Families on our socials and at WeAreChannelQ.com. I'm Dr. Jen Mann sitting in for Dr. Chris here on Loveline. Coming up next, I'm answering a question from a
1: woman who left her marriage for a man who turned out to be very different from who she thought he was. Hey there, I'm Dr. Jen Mann, and I'm filling in for Dr. Chris on
0: Loveline. I will be answering all of your questions and offering you advice tonight. You can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat at Dr. Jen Mann. I am answering an email from a woman named Taylor who writes and says, I've been stuck, for lack of other words, in a relationship for seven and a half years that is filled with toxicity, mistrust, and holding grudges. Yet it seems neither of us, I think, truly want to be with each other, yet we also don't want the other to be with someone else. We lived together for four years with my now 11-year-old daughter. He made us move out for the last year for a multitude of reasons, and here we are still trying to figure out our crap. Am I wasting my time? I'm 46. And there are a bunch of exclamation points after that. Or do I sit around, fix my own issues, a very low self-esteem, and try to get my crap together once and for all? We were both married before, and I actually left my marriage to be with this guy. Little did I know what would transpire. I'm desperate for an answer as I battle my depression from this, Taylor. Oh, Taylor, I have oh so much to say to you. Um, Look, the only thing that's keeping you stuck is you and your mindset. This sounds like an incredibly painful, emotionally volatile relationship that is a terrible example for your daughter. You are her role model of what a relationship is supposed to look like. And this is not a good role model for you. The fact that he actually made you, and I'm quoting you on that, he made you move out means that your daughter's been impacted by his issues and the high conflict nature of your relationship. And it sounds like this is something where you guys are probably fighting in front of her. It sounds like this is kind of a leaky, messy relationship. Your thinking about relationships seems really unhealthy. The idea that you may have wasted Again, I'm quoting you on that. Seven and a half years is not a healthy way of looking at it. I come from the belief that any relationship that you're in is not a waste of time. The only time a relationship is a waste is when we don't learn from it. And that's up to you. We can all make a choice to learn from our relationships, no matter how they end. And look, many there are many relationships that are not meant to be. and At the end of it, if you grow from it and you learn from it, it only makes you more prepared for your next relationship. It only makes you a stronger, better person. There's some questions that I want to encourage you to ask yourself about this relationship and and about yourself, a little self-reflection. What has this relationship taught you about yourself? What are your relationship strengths and weaknesses? What are your patterns? What are your patterns with men, with relationships, with your life? What could you do better in a relationship? What do you need to work on in your own self-growth? It's really easy to focus on him. He sounds like he's very difficult. This sounds like a messy, icky, volatile relationship. But if you do that, you're going to miss the opportunity for growth. And it also puts you in this kind of victim mode. Um, He's the bad guy. I'm the good guy. And that's not good for you either. That prevents you from doing the self-reflection that you need in order to not make the same kind of mistakes in your future relationships. You asked if you should sit around and fix your issues of low self-esteem. Well, hell yeah. (laughs) fix them, get to work. Until you do that, you're going to find that you attract and pick men who are are a reflection of how you feel about yourself. And right now, you don't seem to feel very good about yourself, so you're not going to attract anyone who is healthy and wonderful and is the kind of relationship that I think that you're hoping to have one day. Also, you need to get treatment for this depression. I would love to see you in therapy with someone examining what it is about your history that got you to this painful place. Typically, it's our history that leads us to make these kind of painful choices. And it's important to do the exploration to understand what that is all about for you. Sounds like your your marriage didn't work. This didn't work. And... You're the common denominator, and it's important to explore what it is that's going on with you. It sounds like you and your daughter would be way better off away from this relationship. It's time for you to model to her what a strong woman looks like who stands on her own two feet and practices good self-care. So, Taylor, I hope that you muster up the strength to make this final cut from this guy, I think that it's really important for you and for your daughter. So I wish you the best of luck. Sliding into our DMs is brought to you by Trojan Condoms. It is a big, sexy world out there and we want you to explore it with confidence. Coming up after this break, I'm gonna be answering an email from a woman whose husband's total lack of empathy has driven her to the brink of divorce. I'm Dr. Jen Mann, sitting in
1: for Dr. Chris on Loveline, and I'll be right back after this break. Hi, I'm Dr. Jen Mann, I'm a licensed psychotherapist and the author
0: of The Relationship Fix, Dr. Jen's six-step guide to improving communication, connection, and intimacy. I'm filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline. I'll be answering all your questions and offering advice. You can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat at Dr. Jen Mann. Two ends on Jen, two ends on man. So this person writes and asks a very complex, interesting question. She asks, my question is, how do I deal with a spouse who's not empathic? I can't remember if my husband has always been not empathic or if he has become not empathic over time. He is not empathic in the sense that basically every time I'm sad, upset, angry, fill in any other emotion and then go to him and tell him how I'm feeling, he explains to me why my feelings are totally wrong and why it doesn't make sense to feel the way I feel instead of comforting me. I'm not even talking about when I'm upset or hurt by him
1: specifically.
0: I'm talking about other situations where a friend, job, et cetera, may be upsetting me. I can't explain how painful it is to go to your spouse hysterical crying because something happened and instead of providing comfort, he tells you your emotions make no sense. This happens basically every single time I'm upset with something in my life. It's come to the point that I don't wanna tell him anything that happens to me and would rather go to a friend. I'm also considering leaving over this, which may be an overreaction considering that I have kids, but it's it, very painful for someone to second guess your feelings when you're sad, etc. We argue about this all the time and he tells me, I just want someone who agrees with me and doesn't, and I don't wanna hear that I'm wrong. This is not the case. I just want comfort, and I would expect my spouse wouldn't want me to be sad. But I know if I tell him things like, I'm sorry, you're sad, it won't be genuine anyway. He refuses to see things from my perspective or how it makes me feel or affects me. Instead, he always focuses on how he would feel if it happened to him. Am I overreacting to his lack of empathy? Is there any way to make him more empathic without asking him to be fake? So I'm signing this, we're going to call her Jane Doe. So Jane, you ask a really interesting question when you ask, was he always like this or did he develop over time? Did he become this way over time? You know, it makes me wonder if your needs changed and evolved over time. Did you expect him to intuitively adapt if he wasn't an empathic person to begin with? And now that's something that you need. We tend to kind of do this in long term relationships. We expect our partner to meet our changing needs without any coaching. Keep in mind, coaching works better than criticism. Most people don't respond well to just being told that they're doing it wrong. It's important to keep it more positive when we coach our partners on meeting our needs. I have a very, very strong suspicion that no one ever validated your husband's feelings growing up. I'd be shocked if he had parents who validated his feelings and did a great job comforting him as a child. I suspect they were probably more likely to lecture him and appeal to logic because that's what he's doing with you it's very, very hard to provide an emotional skill for your partner that's totally foreign to you. He probably doesn't even understand the value of it since he's never experienced it. I can understand why you would rather go to a friend than him. And while you can compartmentalize your emotional life, you can go to your girlfriends for some things and your husband for others, This creates a huge gap in your marriage because it it, the amount of material he's going to miss out on that's important to you is pretty massive. One thing that I can tell you for sure is that your approach talking about this with your husband isn't working. I'm assuming that he loves you and that he does want to be a good partner, but he just doesn't recognize how this could help you. I'm also thinking that offering you offering you insight and offering you compassion don't have to be mutually exclusive it doesn't have to be one or the other and it sounds like he may have some value to add to looking at these different perspectives situations like what you describe all situations like what you describe often call for a choose situations like what you describe often call for a two-phased approach Phase one, we just want empathy and compassion. Honey, I'm so sorry, this is so upsetting. I'm sorry you're so sad. Once we've had time to calm down and reflect on what happened and we're not worked up and emotional, and it sounds like from your description that you get very emotional and tearful about these things. But once we've calmed down, it can be helpful to have a partner who's willing to call us out on our staff and say like, hey, Would you be open to hearing a different perspective? I have some insight that might be helpful for you. It sounds like you are thinking about or offered him a good script. I'm a little unclear whether you actually made the suggestion or not when it comes to saying things like, I'm so sorry, you're sad. But right now you're getting caught up in whether or not it's genuine. In the beginning, it doesn't matter if it's genuine. He's learning a new skill and you need to be patient with that. If he's willing to say it, then just let it roll. It may take him a while before it becomes ingrained in who he is and part of the way he communicates with you. The way you describe how he's always changing the focus to how he would feel if the event happened to him makes me think that he has some, a little bit of narcissistic tendencies. You basically have three choices. One, you can try to get into couples therapy with a neutral third party professional that can teach him some better communications for the marriage. Two, you can go to your girlfriend's for the feeling stuff and him for the rest. Three, you can leave him. But of course, this is going to have a huge impact on your children and on your life. I can understand why you're thinking about leaving him. This is a, a pretty pervasive problem. But I think it's important to do everything humanly possible to try to make a marriage work before leaving. I think that couples therapy is going to be crucial for you. It is truly your best chance of getting him to learn these important skills that could make or break your marriage. I'm Dr. Jen Mann sitting in for Dr. Chris here on Loveline. Coming up next, I'm answering a very serious question from a woman who left her verbally abusive marriage only to end up in a physically and emotionally abusive relationship. I'm going to address her
1: life-threatening problem after this break. Hey there, I'm Dr. Jen Mann, a licensed psychotherapist. I am filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline tonight. I will be answering your
0: questions and offering you advice. You can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat at Dr. Jen Mann, two ends on Jen, two ends on man. So I have a very heartbreaking email to read you. Uh, This person writes and she says, I'm in a 15-year relationship after getting a divorce for a verbally abusive relationship. In my last relationship, he let his doctor friends grope me and I was always talked down to. I met Will after being separated for five days. Since then, I have spiraled downhill. We have a very violent relationship physically and emotionally. He has called 800 numbers with women masturbating. While drinking at a function, he stepped on my throat until I thought I was about to pass out and possibly die. We got into a fight and he was screaming in my face and busted his teeth through the skin under my eye. I love him and I think he's a good person, but it keeps getting worse. I feel judged by every move I make. If I run all day on my day off, I'm drinking or drunk. We had a major fight, and yes, I drank and drove for wings. Not smart, and thank God, no one got hurt. I was mid-COVID lockdown when I was put on the second antidepressant. He smokes weed morning, noon, and night. Yet if I come home after a hard day and drink a couple of beers, I'm an alcoholic. We say horrible things to each other. I want to do counseling, but my town is really small and judgmental. If he thinks on Friday that I'm doing something he doesn't like, he'll stay in a camper all weekend till Sunday night, which makes me feel abandoned. Why do I keep letting people hurt me? I feel like I'm going crazy and I'm not sure what to do. Madison. Oh, Madison, I feel for you. Uh, Your relationship is really, really dangerous. And I'm very worried for your life it sounds like the violence, aggression, and hostility in your relationship is only escalating. In addition, there is a lot of substance abuse, the drinking, the weed, God knows what else you guys are are doing in terms of substances. And I think it's really preventing you both from making clear headed decisions and communicating effectively. Nobody does well when they're wasted when it comes to relationship communication this is not a time for you to be drinking at all. You need to be having clarity and maturity to drink and drive to get wings. I'm sorry, it is irresponsible. It is, it really is, it could have been tragic and you could have killed someone, including yourself. You cannot do that. Please consult with your doctor about stopping drinking. If you are drinking On a day-to-day basis, if you're drinking excessively, it can be dangerous to stop drinking all of a sudden, and you want to talk to a physician about that. Regarding couples therapy, I don't recommend it anyway. When I first started my career, I worked for the Los Angeles Commission on Assaults Against Women that's now known as Peace Over Violence as a rape and domestic violence counselor. And one of the things that we learned early on in our training is that couples that are violent with one another or where one person is violent are not good candidates for couples therapy. Because what typically happens is that they go into therapy, the person who is being physically abused will finally say, this is how I really feel. This is what I think. And then they go home and the abuser beats the crap out of them. So therapy isn't safe. For a couple like you guys. What you really need to understand is that once there's been violence in a relationship, you will never, ever feel safe again, because you know that there is always the possibility that he could do it. You know that he is capable of it. I know you say that he is a good person. But to me, this is not good person behavior. And you really need to look at How you define a good person, stepping on someone's neck until they pass out and think they're going to die is not a good person. This is not a safe relationship for you to be in. And one of the things that I want you to know is that when a woman leaves a violent abuser, the odds of her getting killed go up exponentially. In order for you to leave safely, you need a good safety plan. And a good domestic violence hotline can help you create one that's specific to your needs and also the pandemic that we're all in. So I really recommend you call the National Domestic Hotline. That number is 800-799-SAFE, which is 7233. I also think that you need to get some individual therapy to help you get to the bottom of what it is about your pattern of abusive men that you've been involved with. I have a strong suspicion that you probably experienced some early childhood trauma yourself. Madison, please be careful getting out and I implore you to get the help that you need and you deserve. I'm so sorry that you're going through this, but you gotta get out. Sliding into our DMs is brought to you by Trojan condoms. It's a big, sexy world out there, and we want you to explore it with confidence. I'm Dr. Jen Mann, sitting in for Dr. Chris here on Loveline. Coming up next, I'm
1: answering a question from a bisexual woman who's trying to talk her boyfriend into a threesome with another woman. Hey there, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. You may know me from VH1 Couples Therapy with Dr. Jen or VH1
0: Family Therapy with Dr. Jen. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and I'm filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline tonight. I'll be answering your questions and offering you advice. You can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, at Dr. Jen Man. two ends on Jen, two ends on man. So Alexa here, Writes me a very interesting email. She says, I'm bisexual and my boyfriend knew that I'm bisexual and my boyfriend knew that coming into the relationship. I'm having urges to get with a female, but he's so against it, even though at the start of us talking, I told him that this would be a possibility. Is there even a way that I can convince him to have a threesome? So Alexa, here's my feeling on this. I'm not a big believer in pushing people to participate in sex acts that they really don't want to do. Typically, in my clinical experience, it results in a lot of hurt feelings, resentments, and it ends up doing a lot of harm to the relationship. I appreciate that you have urges, but does that mean you have to act on them? I mean, it sounds like you're in a monogamous relationship. And just because you told him that you're bi when you started the relationship doesn't mean that he was on board for a threesome or to have you sleep with other women. It sounds like there's. It sounds like it's his hope that this is going to be a monogamous relationship and that irrespective of the gender of anyone else that you want to sleep with, that he would like it to be monogamous that there aren't any cutouts for women or exceptions. And, you know, look, there are a lot of guys for whom this would be a fantasy, that this would be amazing and wonderful, and they would be 100% on board, but that's not your guy. And if sleeping with women is really important to you for the future, it sounds like your boyfriend's just not the right match. You know, again, I don't recommend making people do something that they don't want to do in bed. You know, once. One thing to also keep in mind, in case you haven't heard, we're in the midst of a pandemic. This is not the best time to bring new sexual partners into your space, to breathe on you, kiss you, anything else. That That's a whole lot of germ swapping and COVID potential. So the timing is also really not good. You know, we've got this thing called COVID. Now, On the topic of the pandemic and COVID, there's a really interesting new trend that's going on. People are actually renting or buying second homes to use as offices. As people are realizing that no one is going back to work for the rest of the year, workers are making drastic moves to get out of their homes. People are buying or renting a second home to use as an office. According to the New York Post, People still want to feel like they're going to work, and it prepares them for the day. Employees also reveal that sometimes it's just too difficult to work at home, citing that noise is one of the main reasons for the lack of focus. People are looking for studios with views, homes with pools, and other amenities to make them feel more productive at their new work. 34-year-old Arielle Moses said she just bought a one-bedroom unit and she plans to renovate it into her home office, saying that right now she works out of her bedroom and that is just not productive. Sliding into our DMs is brought to you by Trojan Condoms. It's a big, sexy world out there, and we want you to explore it with confidence. Right now, children and their families all over Southern California are going to bed hungry. Channel Q and Radio.com have an easy way for you to help feed local students and their families. Just text the word NEED to 76278 to give a buck and put food in the mouths of a hungry child and their loved ones. Just $1 to make a big difference. Learn more about Feed Our Families on our socials at wearechannelq.com. I'm Dr. Jen Mann, licensed psychotherapist. I'm sitting in for Dr. Chris here on Loveline tonight, my last night. Coming up next, I'm answering a question from a woman who has no memory about almost anything in her personal life as a result of sexual trauma.
1: I'm Dr. Jen Mann, and I will be right back here on Loveline on Channel Q. Hey there, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and the
0: author of The Relationship Fix, Dr. Jen's Six-Step Guide to Improving Communication, Connection and Intimacy. I'm filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline tonight, and I'll be answering your questions and offering you advice. You can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat at Dr. Jen Mann. I have a very interesting question here, very unusual from a woman named Stella. Part of it, not so unusual, but another part of it, quite unusual. So here's what she says. I'm a 39-year-old woman. I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse on one occasion by a family member, and abandonment by my biological mother. I have the worst memory. Not like I can't remember what I was gonna get from the other room, bad memory, but more like I have little to no memory of my experiences with people in general. I can recall big events, such as my sister's wedding outside the country, but I couldn't provide you with any specific details or memories of our week-long plus trip. I can't tell you how many times I've asked a friend whether they've seen a specific movie or been to a specific place, only for them to respond that we saw it together. I seem to have no trouble recalling specific information pertaining to work, I can recall phone numbers for frequently contacted clients without having to look them up, specific details of conversations or interactions, or where a specific document can be found in my desk or on my computer. My poor memory seems to be limited to my personal experiences. I assume this is trauma-related and that this is some sort of disassociation, but each time I try to discuss it with the therapist, they look at me like I'm crazy. I don't know what specific therapy or treatment I can seek that will help me process this. I'm not entirely sad that I don't have the bad memories, but unfortunately, part of this is that I don't have the good memories either. Any thoughts or suggestions would be appreciated. So Stella, I'm so sorry that you went through this as a child and that it has impacted you so strongly to this day. You know, it's interesting, the unconscious mind works very hard to protect us, and it sounds like yours is basically just doing overtime. It seems like your psyche has done such a good job protecting you from the traumatic memories that you're not ready for right now, that there's been this spillover into other parts of your life. Also, I can't help but wonder if the disassociation that you learned to survive trauma is bleeding into your personal life. How present are you at these events? Are you disassociating during them? Do you remember a trip while you're on the plane on your way home? What about a week later, a month later? How soon does the memory leave? Are you so worried during these events that you'll be abandoned or abused in some way that you're not really absorbing what's going on around you? Maybe you're distracted. Maybe you're not able to really be in the moment. Do you find yourself feeling distracted in general? Well, I think it's always a good idea to talk to your physician when you're having memory problems. You know, you always want to rule out the physical because you're able to remember things about your work life, where you put things, specific details of conversations you've had. I don't really think this is a physiological problem. And it sounds like you don't think so either. It certainly doesn't hurt to check with your doctor, but I really strongly suspect that this is all psychological. It sounds like the therapists that you have worked with are not people who have any kind of specialty in trauma. The fact that they're looking at you like you're crazy and don't know what kind of treatment or therapy to do with you is very, very telling. You really need to see a specialist. You need to be seeing someone who has a specialty in trauma. In my clinical experience, trauma survivors who don't have access, in my clinical experience, Trauma survivors don't get access to their memories until they're actually ready to have them. This usually means having a safe environment and a therapist that they trust. Our unconscious mind tends to protect us from getting information that we are not ready for. Going through a history like yours and gaining access to those memories can be very painful, intense work to do. It usually requires a lot of time in therapy leading up to that kind of trauma work because you've got to develop trust with the therapist, and trust is developed over time. That said, this kind of work can be life-changing. For you, it could give you access to so many wonderful memories that you haven't been able to hold on to over the years, not just the traumatic ones, but all of these wonderful ones, which would be pretty amazing for you. Sliding into our DMs is brought to you by Trojan Condoms. It's a big, sexy world out there, and we want you to explore it with confidence. I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'm sitting in for Dr. Chris here on Love Line. Coming up next, I'm answering a question from a gay man
1: who is thinking about sleeping with a woman just in case he dies of COVID. Hi, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I am filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline tonight. I'll be
0: answering your questions and offering you advice. You can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat at Dr. Jen Man. two ends on Jen, two ends on man. So Jack writes me a letter here that is very interesting and very unique. He says, I have been gay all my life. Literally, since I was born, I came out singing and dancing. But lately, since COVID, I'm having, I'm having a do everything before you die mentality, and I want to try to sleep with a woman. My boyfriend thinks I'm joking, but I am so serious. Is this even worth doing? <laughs> Jack, well, I, Appreciate your desire to try new things and the total carpe diem attitude. I encourage you to think twice about this one. You don't need to make a bucket list that involves getting into some lady's bucket. I think that what's going on for you right now is that you're feeling a lot of anxiety about the virus. And I think you're really feeling your mortality. I think you're looking to distract yourself from this pervasive feel, from this pervasive feeling and fear about dying. And you're not alone. A lot of people are really looking to distract themselves right now and to do that with a whole host of different things. This is one of the more interesting ones that I have heard about recently. You know, nowhere in your email are you saying, I've been fantasizing about women a lot lately. I'm really turned on by the idea of the female form. I'm really hot for women. I have a burning desire to be with one. I'm not hearing that. And I don't think that this is based on any kind of lust or feeling of desire for women or for exploring anything with women. I think that this is really about trying to avoid a lot of your feelings and your anxiety, which is very understandable. These are incredibly anxious times. And there are a lot of people who are doing a lot of things that are providing them with distractions, some healthy, some not so healthy. Uh, You don't mention how your partner feels about you just said that he thinks that you're joking, but he may have his own feelings about the idea of you sleeping with someone else, female or not. But Either way, I think that it would be really beneficial for you to spend some time processing your feelings about the pandemic. I always recommend that everyone have one full year of weekly therapy. There are a lot of low-fee clinics all around this country. Most therapists are doing telemedicine, so you could actually do therapy from your own home. All of this is now available Thanks to the pandemic, that is one positive about it, that therapy has become a lot more accessible and it is easier to get to because you don't even have to leave your own home. But I think that really this could be a great time for you to start therapy, Jack, to help you deal with your anxiety about the virus. Sliding into our DMs is brought to you by Trojan Condoms. It is a big, sexy world out there, and we want you to explore it with confidence. I'm Dr. Jen Mann sitting in for Dr. Chris here on Loveline. Coming up next, I'm answering a question
1: from a woman who has lost her sex drive since having cancer. Hey there, I'm Dr. Jen Mann, licensed psychotherapist. This is my last day and my last hour filling in for Dr.
0: Chris on Loveline. I am so grateful to all of you for sending me your fabulous questions. You can stay in touch with me on my social media at Dr. Jen Mann. Two ends on Jen, two ends on man. I'm going to answer one last question of the day tonight. Here it is. This one came from my Instagram. This person writes, she asks, how can I get my sexual desire back after cancer? This is a really common struggle that most cancer patients don't talk about. Cancer can change your body image, even force you to lose actual parts of your body. Sometimes depending on the type of cancer and the cancer treatment, patients can lose sensation and really important body parts when it comes to sex. Many cancer survivors experience a decrease in desire and an increase in pain when it comes to sex, and that tends to create a real negative association and not make anyone want to jump into bed real fast. This year alone, it's estimated that 1.7 million people will be newly diagnosed with cancer, and according to one study, half of those with pelvic cancer and a quarter of those with everything else will have something go haywire in bed, and some more than others. So what you're experiencing is very common. You are not alone. The other aspect is that a lot of the time the changes in your energy and the hormones, especially if you've had chemotherapy or radiation, can really wreak havoc on desire. But the good news is that there are some things you can do. The first thing I would recommend is talk to your doctor. See if there are any medical solutions and also ask if any of the medications that you're on right now could be lowering your sexual desire. The other thing is to start out with sex by yourself, to get familiar with your new post cancer body and really explore the territory. The other thing is make sure to use lubricant. A lot of the time after cancer, there's been some hormone changes and sex, especially intercourse, can be really painful if you don't use lubricant. When you are actually having sex, make sure to try experimenting with new positions because some things that really worked for you before may not now and they may be actually painful. Understand that when we go a long time without having sex, our hormone levels tend to drop and make us less likely to wanna have sex. So in the beginning of trying to get your mojo back, you may need to have sex to get yourself back in the mood instead of waiting to get in the mood to have sex. As long as it's not painful and you've got your doctors okay, you may just want to plow forward. Make sure to use some aids to get you turned on, whether it is books, fantasy, porn, sex toys, whatever gets you going, make sure to utilize those opportunities. Understand that you got to be patient with your body and your mind after cancer. I think it's fantastic that you want to get back on the horse, so to speak, being proactive with the suggestions that I just made should really help to get you back on track. I'm Dr. Jen Mann. Thank you so much for tuning in with me. While well, Dr. Chris was on vacation, he will be back on Monday. You can hear me every week on Drop the Subject with Allie and Dr. James. You can also follow me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat at Dr. Jen Mann. You can follow the show at Loveline. Also catch the Loveline podcast
1: after every show on radio.com. Thanks so much for tuning in and have a great night.